The All Souls Witchy Women Podcast, Episode 11, The All Souls Con 2019. Welcome to All Souls Witchy Women, a fan and definitely not official podcast where we talk all things All Souls. We're through women who met over Outlander and then jumped into the All Souls world like the time-traveling witches we wish we were. I'm still feeling all the warm and fuzzy feelings from the All Souls Con that was recently held in Cardiff. I posted several lamentations on our social media pages while I was there because although I was having fun with our intern and with other people there at the con, I was missing my two other witchy women terribly. And the three of us haven't really talked yet about the cons. This is your opportunity to join us as we relive all the magical moments. My witchy friends Ashley and Janet are here with me waiting impatiently. So grab your favorite beverage, pull up a chair, and spend a few minutes with us as we talk about All Souls Con 2019. This is a big old spoiler alert. The con was not spoiler free, and this podcast won't be either. So we'll be talking about all the material that was covered in the second and maybe even third book. So if you haven't read them yet, go read them and then come back. We'll wait for you. We will not wait for you, actually. We're going to go on without you, but come back. Come back. Uh, So I usually try to do a roadmap at the beginning of these podcasts. So the roadmap tonight is really easy. We're just going to talk about the two days of the con. And wherever that lands us is where it lands us. So here we go. Y'all ready? Yes, although I've already come up with sort of a sub uh, title for this podcast. Because I was thinking it was like FOMO, you know, fear of missing out and this is actually the mo podcast which is missed out yes (laughs) for for me and ashley so i like it yes mo indeed that's a perfect way to describe it janet because i know nikki you've been back a few days and janet and i have just been trying to avoid hammering you with questions and details to make it feel as though we were and while the first best choice would have, of course, been to be there with you, but the second best would be to sit in a room in your living room and have some wine and gush about it. So <sighs> yeah. as best we can, we'll make this time that and let others join in it as well. I'm so excited. I really do wish we were in the same room, but this is going to have to do for now. Yeah, the virtual room. I I do have to say that the cat has come. She has taken up residence in this room with me. So she, she might make another appearance. Well, he's no cat, but I'll say that our sommelier buyer just violated the podcasting. Do not enter. Do not knock. Do not anything under any circumstance. But it was to bring me wine. So that's totally acceptable. Oh, he's forgiven. He's forgiven everything. So let's talk a little bit, a tiny little bit about why the con might have been in Cardiff, Wales. Maybe everybody knows, but maybe they don't. So Cardiff, Wales is the home of the production companies whose name I forgot. Bad Wolf. God, it was just right there and then it was gone. Bad Wolf TV. So it's the home of Bad Wolf and much of the show is actually being filmed in Cardiff either Um, in the city and the surrounding countryside or in the actual studio there um, at Bad Wolf. And actually that's where the set of the Bodleian is um, in the Bad Wolf studio. So it was held in Cardiff, I think as a way to get the cast and crew to be able to participate, but also as recognition of the importance of Cardiff in the filming of this show. So are they going to, I'm just going to jump right in with my first question, right? Yes, do it. did they, for the Elizabethan England scenes that they're recreating, did they build a set for that? Or are they doing, or is some part of Wales sort of like that enough that they can sort of, you know, take it over? So um, I think it's a little bit of both. And that was actually something that was covered in the, in one of the panels uh, where Gareth Skelding and Uh, Lachlan McKinnon and James North participated, and it was really, really cool. Unrelated but related side note, how was Lachlan's hair? Because I still get lost in the glory of it when I think about it from last year's con. It's just fabulous. It's it's no less fabulous a year later. The man should have a shampoo sponsorship because some product is doing him all the favors. So... 
I am so excited to talk about this. So, Sarah Arthur, the costume designer, James North, the production, um, who's in charge of production design, Gareth Skelding, who's the location manager, and then Lachlan McKinnon, who's the producer. They did, um, they did a panel on the first day. They were the... Uh, They were the third panel on the first day. And I enjoyed them so much, so much. And I'm just, I I took a lot of notes, which isn't really what I tend to do. Because if, if you look at my work notes, they're full of tornadoes and flowers. But I was very proud of the notes that I took during these sessions. Because they actually have words Wait, wait. I have to go back to why do your work notes have tornadoes and flowers? Because I get bored in work meetings. But yeah, and I doodle to keep my brain activated. But here I was like, oh, this stuff is very interesting. I'm okay. Well, let's stay up. Let me let me write adult words. Well, in fairness, those staff meetings are generally when Nikki finds her inspiration to doodle off a brilliant, prolific blog post for All Souls Witchy Women, inspired by Deb Harkness's words. And so if you're sitting there in the All Souls Con, I imagine you don't need to doodle because you're sitting at the heart of the inspiration. So you just write notes about what the woman and everyone around her is saying. True. True. Okay, I'm just back on how you make tornadoes and flowers, though. Ashley, do you do you doodle? Oh, I for sure doodle. Although I'm not as skilled as Nikki is apparently because I hover in the geometric shapes range. So do I. That's why I'm asking. You know, lots of triangles and hashtags and just drawing borders around Uh. notes. I certainly cannot free form out recognizable images in the middle of work meetings. Yes. Yes. See, I think this is revealing. Oh, it's very revealing. We have a tornado flower doodler, Mm -hmm. and we have people who are making geometric designs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's it. I just think that's important. So (laughs) We're all different witches. What's fascinating about this to me is that of the three of us, and Janet, I'm certain you will agree, Nikki is the most organized. She's the one that keeps us on track, keeps all the trains on track, keeps everything running on time, and so... To me, you would be the one that would be methodically drawing straight lines and geometric shapes. But no, you're the creative one that is free-flowing these beautiful ethereal designs in your notebook in the middle of these very serious staff meetings. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I'm I, I, I'm a demon. I just pretend to be a witch from time to time. I'm an that honorary witch. It. That's true. All right. Well, okay. I just felt like the doodling thing was important to keep track. Well, so, all right. Good. All right. So, it's a little bit of both. So, you asked about about the Elizabethan England. So, it's a little bit of both. So, um, they actually brought with them uh, quite a few slides. And it was really cool because they showed some, some pictures of buildings that they're using or sets that they're using for Elizabethan England. And there would only be like one story. And then there would be a block of green for like the second and third stories. And you could tell that's where they're going to, they're going to use green screen. They're going to use CGI to, to fill in the rest. And it was really funny because he said, as you're looking at these images, when you see green blobs, you'll know that those are the places we ran out of money, which (laughs) I thought was hilarious. Right. Right. That's good. (laughs) So there were a couple of buildings like that. And to your question, Janet, um, just a couple of days before the con, um, James North said that he had gone to uh, grab Deborah. He, he asked her if she had like 20 minutes um, because he only had about 20 minutes. And you know, he said, do you have about 20 minutes? I can come show you the set that we're building. And he said he took her in and he's talking to her and then there's, there's this thing and there's this thing. And he turns around and she's gone. He's lost her. And so he goes through the set and he looks and, and you know, he's looking for Deborah. He finds her and she's just leaned up against a wall and she's just clearly overcome. And um, he said it was just so amazing because the Elizabethan England that she had dreamed up was right there in front of her eyes. And she was just, you know, she was she was taken with it. You know, that's something that we've talked about. And we've talked about it in the last couple of podcasts about seeing the thing that you've dreamed up come to life. And 
we imagine that she might have that moment, but finding out that she actually did have that kind of moment was just, just when I think I can't love her anymore. I do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine what that's like, um, you know, to have your imagination be there in, in real life and, and have it be perfect, you know, um, as opposed to seeing it and then thinking, oh, damn, that's not exactly it, but okay, fine, you know. Um, and, I, and I'm just, as you know, and I probably will say it another time or two before this is all occurs, but I'm, like, so excited about the Elizabethan uh, England thing. I can hardly stand yeah. it, so... Well, I'm I'm thinking we've made it maybe should have make a made a drinking game out of this podcast episode. Everybody take a drink every time we say Elizabeth in England. Oh, say no more. I'm in. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so with this panel, Lachlan kind of moderated it. So um, he had questions that he asked each of the other three. And one of the first questions he asked was to Gareth, and it was, "What was the most difficult set to find in Wales?" So, Yes. Mm-hmm. Want to know? Yeah, I want to know. Venice. <laughs> Venice. <laughs> oh, that's good. He, he just, I, I would have, if I could have had an hour just to talk to Gareth Skelton, I would have been a happy, happy woman because he just cracked me up. Yeah. I know we've said this before, but it bears repeating. Deb's visions and her vision slash dream boards. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, it's enough that she comes up with these images and these stories in her head and these characters and the places that they become themselves and they, you know, intermingle with each other. But then she finds the words to go with them and then creates these images that go with them on a board of what they might look like if they were brought to life in real life. And then now she's got a creative team of people who are bringing her words to life. And then to take it as far as like to be able to stand in on the set, to lean against a wall and just take it all in. There are your words. Those are your words that have been manifested and brought to life. And they started on a vision board of yours. Are you kidding me? The whole thing makes me want to just run right out to Michael's and buy some crafting crap and get it done. Just get it done. Seriously. I... I'd like to ask her to put me on her dream board. I don't really know what I want her to dream for me, but I just, if she could just put me up there, something. Well, she's clearly got a very good one because she was had Lindsay Duncan on her yeah. board years ago. And <laughs> voila. Is Seriously. So another couple of things about filming and locations. They were talking about uh, filming Madison in the fall. And... Uh, th- there's there's a quote from Diana early on saying that um, uh, Madison in the fall is the best Madison or something like that. Something very similar to that. Uh, yeah. But Madison in the fall was actually Wales in January. Wow. And so they had to try to make it look like a crisp New England setting. And they were talking about you know going into the parks in the fall and raking up bags full of leaves and then putting them in storage until they filmed the scenes in January and then they would be dumping them back out again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which, that's fantastic. I mean, there's just so many things that you never think about like that that are involved in, in the filming that just very cool. And then one of the pictures that I had shared on I, maybe just our Twitter feed, but they showed a picture of the Bishop House and they actually built that house for... A discovery of witches but they only built one floor so this lovely little blue house that looks like it could be anywhere in new england is actually out in a field in wales one story and then the rest is just cgi'd in so that reveal completely blew my mind when that picture started floating around on twitter because when the original photo was shared i think it was one of the first publicity stills that they put out on their channels before season one aired, I saw it and was like, yes, that is the Bishop House. Completely convinced that I could go somewhere in England or in New England and see that actual house, take a pilgrimage of filming sites and see that house directly, only to learn just this 
you know, past week and a half that it does not exist. Right. And it reminded me very heavily of Outlander. And I know I would hesitate to bring this up if it weren't for the fact that Janet told me in the last episode that I could do whatever the F we wanted. So here we go. Right. But in season four, when they have Aunt Jocasta's pre-Revolutionary War you know, plantation home in North Carolina in the 1700s. And it's the most gorgeous house. Mm -hmm. Looks completely authentic. And somewhere along the way, one of our other fellow bloggers found photos where it basically showed that they had green screened the entire roof of that house so that they could put the columns on it and make it two-story and give it the full effect. And I remember having my mind blown then, too, because I was completely convinced that they'd managed to find a plantation home in Scotland, which is ridiculous now that I think about it. But, you know, thus is me. I will always believe in the movie magic. So (laughs) this one had that effect for me, too. I was just blown away. Yeah. (laughs) One of the other um, kind of funny location anecdotes that they had was um, the barn that was used because... It looks like a very New England-type barn. And um, Lachlan asked Gareth where they found the barn. And he said, well, I built a barn, or we, we, we had built a barn for a show called The Apostle. And I knew I'd left it out in the woods, so we just went out there. And so they took this barn that they had built for, this, for The Apostle, which is a show I've never seen, but kind of want to see it just for the barn. Um, actually I don't because it's a horror show. Never mind. Scratch that. Um, <laughs> I, I still have my nightmares from seeing Silence of the Lambs when I was 17. Um, uh, so they took this barn. It was out in the woods. They just completely transformed it to the barn that we see in the show, which I, I think is very cool. Just so much repurposing and they're so resourceful and it's just amazing. Just amazing. So, have they built an Elizabethan England street? I'm sorry, but I am obsessed with this. And I'm still in the lead with this drinking game. <laughs> do they have like, do they have like Diagon Alley, except it's, you know, like Kit Marlowe's house and, and Matthew's house. And yeah, the, do, do they? I, I don't know. Okay, fine. I don't know. Right, fine. That's fine. I don't know, but also on this trip, I was in York, which has an, an an old shopping area called the Shambles, which is which was the model for Diagon Alley in Harry Potter. Wow. So that was kind of cool. That is cool. And then it, and then the heavens opened up and it rained and we left. Um, end of story. All right. Well, there it is. <laughs> so, a little bit about costumes, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say costumes go. Oh, Sarah Arthur is the costume designer. She was there uh, to talk a little bit about costumes from the first season and the second season. So going back to the first season, uh, she talked a little bit about the jumpsuit, which um, there's been a lot of pictures on social media. Probably everybody has seen the jumpsuit. And everybody's question that I saw on social media was, I didn't think it was gray, right? Oh, no. Is this like a black dress, blue dress thing? Well... So, I mean, it looks like a purple. Um, uh, Val from Damon said that she she thought it was periwinkle, and then we all get into the to the auditorium there on Friday, and they had they had that outfit and several more outfits on the stage, and it's just it is straight up gray. Really? And yes. What? No. Yes. It's very great. And so um, this wasn't really talked about, I don't think, in, in any official capacity. But um, you know, there were a lot of sort of side conversations about um, the fact that they use blue filters Oh, um, in the filming. And so the blue filter gives it that different hue. But in reality, that jumpsuit that she wore in the dance scene with, with Matthew at set tours is actually gray. So Really? Yeah. Yeah, but she talked about that costume, or I hate to call it a costume, but it was, it was a costume, right? Um, But she she talked about selecting that, and she said she wanted it to feel dressed and natural, um, but also sort of in line with um, 
with Diana's, you know, the outfits we'd seen her in previous to that, you know, they'd all been sort of, um, I don't know, gender neutral, <laughs> you know? And so she didn't want it to be a, a huge transition between what we'd seen her in and what, and, and in that jumpsuit, but she did want to give like a softer side of Diana, but something, something comfortable, something that she could move in. And that was really cool. And uh, she said of all the people in season one, Isabeau was her favorite to dress. Oh, which, yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Her stuff was so sort of stylish and, and upscale, but there were some fantastic, um, Juliet's costumes were kind of oh kick-ass. Kick awesome. God, everything, and, shoes, hair, just, she was. Mm. And Miriam got into, on social media, there was some like coat thing that she, her coat, it was some random like voting thing, mm -hmm. right? And her coat, her coats, her jackets were noticed as well. Yes. On a side note, I saw an advertisement for that jacket on yeah. social media last week and I damn near bought it. Yeah. I, you know, I may have seen the same ad uh, and I'm like, girl, you cannot pull that off. Oh, I think you could. I think you could. Oh my God. Yes, you can. <sighs> so the second season, the Elizabethan costumes. Oh God. Uh, wait, wait. Did I just hear what I think I heard? It was Elizabethan England costumes yeah. drink. Was, right. Yeah, done. So Sarah Arthur talked about um, the materials that they're using, the fabrics. Uh, she talked about Matthew Good's costume. Obviously, a doublet is very is going to be prominent in this next season. But uh, she said she's so happy with his costume. He's happy with it. He loves it. He loves wearing it. She had some. They were, they were more than swatches, fabric swatches. Um, they were pretty big pieces of fabric that she brought out on this. She, she brought them out on the stage with her, but she had them in front of her during the panel. And as she was talking about the costumes and designing them, Lachlan just reached and grabbed them and threw them into the audience. My God. Right. And, and everybody is just screaming like it was 1972 and Elvis had thrown his scarf into the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was embarrassed about how giddy that made me. Oh hell no, you own that. We would have squealed with you. I, I reached over and grabbed Caitlin's hand and said we're gonna be able to touch it and she just kinda looked at me like, What is wrong with you? So she had I think she had three different um pieces of material. Uh one was uh what uh they used for Matthew's britches. I didn't get to touch Matthew's bridges. Oh, so but I'm bum. So sad. Well, yeah. Did you buy him a drink? Attempt to get to know him? <laughs> well, I, I think that is standard protocol, isn't it? Maybe. I don't know. All very consensual, mind you. But, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but the two pieces I get, did get to touch, one was Diana's cloak and one was a dress that they're making for. And just the luxury of this material was just, oh, it was so cool. I mean, I would hate to wear it because I, this piece, I don't know. It was probably like three by three or something like that. And I swear it must've weighed five pounds and that was her cloak. And I just, you know, I was imagining like 12 or 15 yards of that, what that would feel like. But I've heard that in Elizabethan England, dresses could sometimes weigh up to like, 20 or 30 pounds, right? So. Oh, sure. With I all mean, that just, material. Yeah, exactly. This is another side note because this is just, this is a late breaking development today. I don't know if you guys have been tracking on social media, but the dude who's making shoes for season two has been posting images to social media. What? Yeah. So we will be sharing those out on our Facebook page. I just, I hadn't, I didn't get a chance to do it today, but these images are fabulous. Who is the dude? Um, okay, let let me find it real quick. Um, cause I just, oh my god, I I am, yep, 
Yeah, I was like, where can I find these? Okay, well, while you're looking for that, can we gush amongst ourselves about how amazing Deb's shoes were? Oh, my oh God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those magic slippers? Yeah. Well, you want to hear a story about them? Sure. Of course. Um, hold on. Talk amongst yourselves. Let, oh. I, and then I'll tell you a story about it, but I got to find... Now I'm distracted. I got to find this guy because everybody needs to know. Well, while you're doing that, I just want to say this. I love the angle in which you captured the shoes in an image that you threw up on our social channels because you were clearly stage right and had this like perfect straight on or to the side, I guess I should say, view of the shoes. And then right behind it in frame of the shot is this one woman with her mouth agape and the biggest like eyes of awe and it completely matched what I was feeling. And I kept looking back going like, yep, what she's doing. That's how I'm feeling about these shoes too. Yes, that would be windy. Yep, that was windy. Well, when Deb came out on stage, everybody just gasped and she started talking. And then people were like, no, show us your shoes. Yeah. Well, and it's so perfect because who is the... Um, and I'm sorry, I'm having a brain fart, but she does the does the alchemical work with the... Um, the woman who's got the baby. Oh, Mary Sydney. Oh, yes, Mary Sydney. Thank you. And her shoes and and D- Diana accidentally like makes some of the you know her shoes do some things that she, yes that have animals on it. So it's so perfect that Deb also has magic shoes. Yeah. So here's the story behind those shoes. So when Deb was talking in her panel, and we'll, we might even talk about this a little bit later, but she was talking about the All Souls family and how we're all a family and how. Okay, I'm probably probably gonna lose my shit here in a second but um you know in the time of the fandom which is about 10 years you know we've we've gained people we've lost people and one of the people that has been lost was a young woman she was i think she was in her 20s but she was she was a fan from the get-go and she died suddenly uh, unexpectedly in a way that a 20 year old should not die and her parents sent those shoes to deb Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So they were a gift from this this young woman's parents because they thought she would love them. Wow. Not only did she love them, but all of us loved them as well. Well, and it's like there's a little piece of that young woman. Yes. Still there and at the con. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. It wasn't like they sent her new white sneakers or something. Right. Right. And, and she loved him so much. She said she planned her entire outfit around those shoes, which she did an awesome job. What can't the woman wear? Yep. Well, it's all about the accessories. Remember, she talked about that in our she did. interview with her. Yep. She did. Accessories are always the right size. Yep. So I have finally found it. It's, it's Kevin Garlic shoes and it's G-A-R-L-I-C-K. And you can find him on Facebook, which I friended him today. Well, I didn't friend him. I just liked his page because it's a it's a store page. So Kevin Garlic Shoes is making shoes for season two of Discovery of Witches. And they are just freaking kick ass. So needless to say, I think the costumes are going to be killer in season two. And I just cannot wait. Just one more um, note about the costumes, uh, something that I thought was interesting because um, I can't remember if it was Lachlan or somebody from the audience asked about the historical authenticity of the costumes. And she says that they want to be as accurate as possible, but, you know, they do take things into consideration like Teresa Palmer is a new mother. We all know what that means. So, you know... They have to, you know, they, they, they want to be mindful of the fact that she's breastfeeding. And how do you how do you get her in and out of a corseted dress to allow her to take care of her child, but then get her back in quickly so that she can go and, and film her scenes? So, you know, she says that they want to be as accurate as possible, but they're also willing to make exceptions um, and, and accommodations uh, for the characters when they make sense. And she says, you know, some people might see these as heirs. We're looking at you Outlander fans. Stop that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> stop, 
some people might see these as errors and that's fine if that's what you want to call them but we know what we're doing <laughs> you know we've got this yeah right right deep breath people right i think it's so special that Teresa palmer has all this to remember the time when she had poet oh my goodness i mean it's one thing yes. to basically have the show itself as this time capsule of sorts that shows her likeness and the passion project that she was working on while she was not only gestating the sweet baby, but also now raising a newborn and the flexible situation that she found herself in to be a new mom, to breastfeed, to take care of her in the way that she wanted to, and to have mm-hmm. um, a network of people surrounding you that are supportive of it. And so you have this time capsule of not just the video from the show itself, but a costume, a costume that has been modified to be able to accommodate the station in life that you're in and to be able to have later, should she keep it, to say, yes, this is the show that I was doing and the important time of my life I was in when you were little. And here is the physical reminder of what all we achieved together as a mom and a baby. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other very special thing that happened on day one of the con was the cast panel. Ah! You want to talk about it? Uh, I'm assuming that's rhetorical because I've been waiting this entire time to hear about the cast panel. Yes. (laughs) So, first of all, I have to say, Caitlin and I had, Caitlin the intern, had, like, the worst luck we were in the wrong place at the wrong time like every single time so on the first day there was this there was a cast panel or the the panel that we had just talked about with with the artist with james north and and that group and then we had lunch and i had booked a tea for <clears throat> caitlin and me that day so we went to tea we made it take i mean it took it took way longer than I thought it was, which meant that we missed the loot duet panel, which I was very sad about. But so we had our tea and then we were like speed walking because I can't run. We were speed walking back to the venue to get there for the cast panel because I said to Caitlin, we cannot be late for this. We've got to get back. We get back. I'm sweating because something I didn't know about whales Cardiff in particular, it's humid in a way that no other place on this earth is humid. It's like Kentucky in the summer mixed with the rainforest. It just... How, how hot was it? It wasn't that hot. It was like like low 80s, but it was like a thousand percent humidity. Really? It just, it was really, it was, a, and and I just thought it was me thinking I had turned soft or something in my old age, but I actually talked to um, a security guard at the castle on our last day there. And he said, do you want to go and see this, this extra thing? Cause they were getting ready to close for the day. And I'm like, you know what? I think we're done. And he's like, well, I can just I can take you. And I'm like, no, really? I, th- I just think we're done. And he's like, it's the humidity, isn't it? And I'm like, oh, how do you know? And he's like, I love my homeland but sometimes it can be really unbearable. Oh, <laughs> so. Wow. I would not anyway. have thought that I would, but anyway. So you're saying it was like Atlanta in the summertime. Yeah, I was, com- I was completely not prepared for that. But anyway, so we get back to our seats and kind of, we're, you know, sweating, get back into our seats. And my seatmate, who uh, was from Nottingham and her mother were there. And they were very lovely people. Um, we, we get back in her seats and she's looking at her phone and she's looking at Sky One. I, don't, I think it was their Twitter feed. It's the cast taking pictures outside with con attendees. Oh, man. And I'm like, are you kidding me? If we had just walked around the building, we oh, could see them. Freaking humidity is the reason we can't have nice things. So, yeah, we actually, inside, we actually had to wait a few minutes for them to come in because they were outside. Oh. Hanging with the fans. And it was 
was sad. But anyway, I'm not bitter. I'm just a little bit sad. Okay, I'll be bitter for you. And now we're back to Janet's subtitle of this episode, Mo, (laughs) because the two of you totally missed out. Right. So the cool thing about the cast panel is we didn't we didn't have any idea who was coming. Everybody had guesses, but we didn't know for sure who was coming until they actually came out on the stage. And Deb came out first and she was she was doing a little introduction of the cast. Um, and she hadn't even got to the point where she was going to say their name. She was just, you know, like prepping everybody for him to come out. And um, while she's doing that, they just come out. All of them. So. That was very fun. Valerie Pettiford was there, which, um, again, I'm a little bit embarrassed about how I fell to pieces, but I did. Uh, so it was Valerie Pettiford, Teresa Palmer, Edward Blumel, uh, Tristan Gravel, and Adele Leonce, who is playing Phoebe in season two. And she is adorable and lovely, and I can't wait to see her. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I need to make a few notes here. About Tristan Gravel. Okay. He's hot. <laughs> Ooh, in what way? Um, but... like, in a way, I didn't comprehend until he was, like, 50 feet away from me. <laughs> and he's in a sleeveless shirt, and he's tatted up, and got, like, a two-day growth beard, and his hair is kind of disheveled, and I'm like, wow, that's is a good look on you, sir. <laughs> oh, I hope you said that to his face. I did um, not. I mean, I thought it. I was sending that yeah. thought to him. Um, but yeah. yeah, anyway. So that's so not where I thought you were going, which is great. But now you have me looking at him in a different way too. Um, I find that to be a very sneaky little delight to have found Baldwin right? Baldwin of all people, hot. Mm-hmm. But I think the sneaky delight of the whole thing was just knowing there was going to be a cast panel, but not really knowing until that moment that they all walked out mm-hmm. on stage who exactly from the cast was going to be part of this experience. Exactly. Exactly. So I had thought that Aisha Hart was going to be there because there was a reception happy hour thing the night before in the museum um, where the where the con was held. And she just popped in with Deb. Again, Caitlin and I just missed her. We were there. We went back to the room. I started looking at Twitter and people are posting pictures with Aisha Hart. And I'm like, really, y'all? This is cool. So I had thought. Wait, just so I know, did she have the top knot? Uh, No, no. No, her hair was down. Um, so I thought she was going to be at the, there at the cast panel. But I think that just is evidence of how they can just pop in and out because it's close to the office. Um, so. so so, on the panel, I know that Deb yes. asked that each of them to describe their character with one <laughs> word, cause you, uh, which yes. has been reported, including, um, you know, you, wrote, you, you did something about that on social media or whatever. Yes. But I'm wondering like if what else was what else was on the panel that was sort of surprising or interesting or whatever. <laughs> okay, I'm going to answer that, but I'm also going to preface it with something. So, you know how um Edward doesn't really look like the Marcus from the book. Marcus from the book was fair-haired. Um Edward Blumel is dark-haired. Um, but Deb talked about his screen test, and um, he he apparently went up to, to Teresa and smelled her, like sniffed wow. her. Okay, that that's bold. That's bold. <laughs> well, oh. but see, and they were like, and the casting director was like, "Oh, he's naughty. He's the one." And Deborah said when she saw the when she saw the tape, she was like, "Yep." That's him. That's Marcus. And even though he didn't look like what she had written, he embodies Marcus's spirit. Now I want to ask him, so why did you decide to do the sniff test? Because he is a very naughty boy, which you will see when I answer this question that I have here in this notebook where I wrote words. In in between the tornado doodles. (laughs) 
Oh my god, Nikki's notes and journals belong in the Bodleian all by themselves. <laughs> so- <laughs> Damn it! Uh, so yeah, she asked them to describe their characters, right? So Marcus said... Damn it, Edward. Yes, season one. So he, of course, had to have two answers. He couldn't just have one because he's naughty. Um, so he said season one, he was immature. Season two... The word he describes himself is with is horny. Right. Well, boy. There you go. Yep. And Deb said, "You don't need to share why. It's fine." Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's funny. The word that comes to mind is incorrigible. He's just and he, and he just has this cheeky little grin, and he knows what he's doing, and it's just adorable. He's hot right now. He's on Killing Eve, and he just got. He was just announced to be on some other show. So it occurs to me, because I was thinking when I was watching him on stage and, you know, I was thinking about his role in Discovery of Witches and him describing sort of what happens in season two. And I'm like, well, he plays the same role on a Discovery of Witches and um, Killing Eve. He's basically the same character. And then I'm like, no, wait, he's not playing a character. I think he's just being himself. Yeah, it just happens go. to fit what they needed. Um, so... Valerie Pettiford described her um, character of Emily as heart. And everybody went, oh, Oh, God, that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, Tristan Gravel described Baldwin as frustrated, (laughs) which I thought was great. Um, Teresa described Diana as empowered. And there's... She said this beautiful thing. She said, Diana lands in her truth, and she really leans into the essence of who she is, which makes me think that Teresa might actually be Diana as well, um, because she just she's embraced that character in such a beautiful way. Oh, I'm with you. I'm convinced Teresa is Diana. Well, this is going to be a, this is going to be a big season for Diana. So yeah, uh, Adele described her character as open and agile, which made Edward laugh a lot, a whole lot. Wait, who who is she playing? Phoebe. Oh, Phoebe. Oh, okay. Uh Those are good. Those are good. Deb was very brave because she asked them, because she sort of moderated this panel, and she asked, "Is is there a prop that you either wanted to take home or that you took home? Teresa said that she took home the necklace from season one, but she didn't steal it. Want to know why? It was why it was hers already. Yeah, I I thought it was her necklace. Yeah. yeah. So her friend and I, uh, I can't remember the name of the of the jewelry the jewelry maker, uh, but it was her friend in Australia, and she went to her before she started filming, and she said, "I would really like to have a necklace that sort of embodies Diana." And she told she talked to her about the character, and her friend made this necklace for her. And when Teresa showed up on set to film season one, the costume department was like, we love that necklace. Can we use it for filming? So that became her necklace. Oh, I haven't heard that before. That is really cool. Well, that's cool that that sort of, um, she, that the, she was able to describe the character so clearly and had such a sense of Diana that the jewelry maker was able to make the jewelry, right. and the cost and the costume people said, "Yeah, that works totally." I mean, that's that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. Tr- Tristan Gavell said that he took the bomber jacket. Um, nice. And he's so funny. He was like, "I looked at it and was like, I could do with a bomber jacket." <laughs> right. Cool. Like, like you do. Exactly. Exactly. Well, now he's just working to make himself dreamier. Because, again, it's Baldwin, so I'm still struggling. But because it's Tristan Gravel and he wants to wear the bomber jacket, now I'm seeing it in a whole different light. So I love that he's reinventing himself at this con for you and then for me as the dreamy guy. I felt a lot of confusing feelings, Ashley, about all of it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. It was most uncomfortable having them with my daughter sitting beside me as well. <laughs> Valerie Pettiford, I just, I feel like there's just so many heart emojis that I feel when I even say her name because she's so wonderful. She talked about the character of 
Emily and how she feels like of all the characters that she's played in her life, she feels like this is the one truest to who she is. And it made me think about how much we love, how much we love that character in the book, but we sort of even grew to love it more once we saw the show. And I think that really does have to do with her because, because of the way that she became Emily she talked about how she she usually plays um, she usually plays the rich bitch was her quote and she said that's easy for her because that's acting that's just you know being something outrageous but um, being Emily she said it was actually really hard for her because it's so close to who she is and you know there, there's a vulnerability I think that goes along with that that's interesting because as somebody who's not an actor. I would think, oh, it's easier if I can draw on the things that are more like me Mm -hmm. because then I'm more comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. But in fact, she's saying it's the opposite. It was was easier to play characters that are more antithetical to who she is um, because of that vulnerability. I mean, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that about acting. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Although there is a small part of me that also thinks that it might be easier just to be as far removed from yourself and be a completely different personality and type of person when you're getting to act than feeling like it's too close to home. Like it might be easier to get a little further away from home. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is that um, she talked about uh, like doing the spells and how she's never cast spells before. And, you know, she was really interested in getting that right, you know, when she's when she's scrying on the front porch. And she said that um, one of the things that she did when she was when she was working on that is to make she because she has a dancing background. She was she danced with Bob Fosse. And so she has this amazing dance background. And so what she wanted to do was make sure that she got her movements right. And she leaned on her background in dance to um, choreograph those movements. And um, I I thought that was really cool. I love these little nuggets they're sharing. That is so interesting. That is interesting. That's interesting too. Very, very cool. Well, can I ask about another panel? (laughs) Do it. Well, I want to know about the, uh, I want to get like, you know, the three second version of Dr. Shelley Carter's Whose Fault Is It Anyway? How long have you known me? Can I do a three-second version of anything? Oh, that's awesome. Janet's just issued you a challenge. All right. Well, you know what I mean. I mean, I just, I know it has to do with genetics, etc. but I'm just fascinated yeah. by this blood rage, ragier, ragiest. I felt. Whatever. It just, yeah. So dumb. <laughs> In that panel. Oh, all right. <laughs> no, Sorry, no, no. We, I, we don't. We don't have to talk about it then. Never mind. I adore Dr. Shelley Carter. She is so cool. And she does make this science accessible to the point that uh, we went back to the room that night after her panel. And um, Caitlin was like, well, I really wish she'd talk some more just about genetics because I would really like to, you know, I've, I've got questions for her. This is what I really love about her. And this isn't going to really speak to what she talked about in the panel. But what I really love about her is that she is she is a scientist. She is an intellectual. She gets all this stuff, real world. But she is not so serious that she can't take a fanciful look at vampire genetics. And I love that about her. Right. That she's just she's willing to embrace a fun side that you don't often see in scientists and I say that having worked with scientists for many years yeah right well I I think it's interesting just that they would even have this is the second year she's spoken and um, I don't recall her talk last year at the Philadelphia con but I just think it's it's fascinating that within a con we have you know a bona fide scientist you know with serious creds who comes and speaks to these issues, you know, in a book that has witches, vampires, and demons. Because, in fact, there are sort of scientific mm-hmm. genetic concepts that Absolutely. are being discussed in this book. Just, just like there are alchemical ones, you know, in addition to sort of more abstract uh, 
thoughts around feelings and relationships and, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of people's spiritual sides. Um, and so, you know, so I just always think it's cool that they have somebody who comes and p- puts the real life yeah. science into perspective for this quote fantasy. It was, it was kind of funny because she, she talked to, to your point, she was talking about the science involved in, you know, the blood rage and that kind of thing. And she said, I could never do history the way that Deb, that the way that Deb does science, which very cool because it means that Deb is a historian <laughs> and yet she has she has a command of science in a way that lets her write convincingly about these things in a way that Shelley didn't feel like she could write about history as a scientist. So again, another like massive bonus points to Deb for being brilliant. Oh, for sure. For being brilliant and for attracting brilliant people through your work, right? Because I think it is so cool that you've got this bona fide, credible member of the higher, you know, higher learning academia community, the historian that is Deb. And through her works, she has managed to attract high caliber talent that finds authenticity and credibility and just sheer fun in the works that she's brought to life. Um, so I love that Shelley comments about Deb's ability to do science correctly mm-hmm. in her works, but I just think Deb as a historian bringing these stories to life has managed to attract the talent of Shelley, which is so flipping cool. Right, right. It, she started off with, what is blood rage? It's a really vampire vampire. And what's a weaver? A really witchy witch. Ooh, I'm in. See? I just, it just grabs you. But she had actually done, um, she did a family tree diagram thing with Matthew's children, Marcus's children, and the ones that were known to have blood rage. And, you know, she couldn't do all Marcus's children because we don't know how many, many, many children he created. But just the ones that like were mentioned by name and whether or not they had blood rage. And she looked at the links between the generations and things like that, which is, which was really fun and cool. And I wish I could tell you more about that, but you know, I can't. She blinded me with science. She blinded me with science. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I mean, you'll get nothing but praise from me. You and Dr. Shelley Carter have already outscienced me by a ton. Yeah. So that was fascinating. Yeah. So I have I have one more question about a, a panel or a, a talk, which is the uh, Dr. Stephanie McGuckin, the crash course in manuscripts. Like, what was that about? What was that about? Oh my God! First of all, as I mentioned in a tweet, the shoe game was strong. Deb had those amazing shoes. Shelley had some amazing shoes and then stephanie had did you see these shoes they were darth vader platforms oh yeah i saw i saw those i saw those yeah. oh yeah i totally didn't pick up on that at first so i was glad you pointed that out be still my star wars geek loving heart i'm i'm looking at she comes out on stage and i'm like what is what is that oh my god it's darth vader wow very awesome her talk was actually really super interesting and, and something I can talk about with a little more um, confidence than vampire genetics. She had a lot of images that she brought with her of manuscripts that she has studied in her own research. And just the, the cool and interesting things that she has found in them over the years. Um, that word that I can never say, palimpsest. Thank you. You always help me out with that one, Janet. Thank you. <laughs> or our actual or, or palimpsest, but anyway. Yeah. She's she's come across some of those in her, in her research and, you know, things that haven't been noted before. And it's because, you know, she just happened to be in the right light at the right time. And she she'll, she thinks she's seeing this thing and she calls somebody over and, and says, uh, can, can you see this thing too? <laughs> you, you see that, right? One of the things that that really stuck with me that I had never considered as these is these alchemical manuscripts that have silver and gold and on them, you know, they're 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 painted with silver and gold and, and different kinds of things. 
and how different they look to us than they would have been to the people who were creating them and the people who were reading them in their time because they were meant to be they were meant to be, be viewed by candlelight. Oh, huh. Oh, that's cool. See, and so when you when you look at them in the harsh light of a library or a lab or whatever, you don't see it in the same way that they did. But when you're able to look at it under candlelight, it glows in the way that it would have for them. Now that's really interesting. Just another reason to time travel. Right? I loved that. And I just, I kind of get goosebumps thinking about it because, you know, you think of a, a study, you know, you, you think of Matthew and Diana's house in 1590 and, you know, the candles and the warmth and the, the fireplace and you think about opening one of those manuscripts and, and the gold and the silver kind of jumping off the page at you. And I just, I loved, I love that image. But she, she also talked about some of the things that, um, things like, things that look like one thing, but are actually another. Uh, so there's a, there was a manuscript that she was looking at and there were like these gold blobs everywhere and she realized that those were revisions because somebody had actually, um, you know, in, in this manuscript, someone had originally uh, drawn a picture of God. And then at some point, somebody came in and was like, no, we're not, we're not going to have that. And then they just painted over God in gold. Oh, interesting. So kind of a bit of revisionist history. But, you know, she talked also about the notes that, that um, scribes have left in margins. Um, which was actually kind of cool. You know, some people uh, would would write, you know, a little preface, so-and-so hired me because I'm the best scribe there is, you know, things like that, or um, just notes that people have left for themselves in the manuscripts as they were transcribing. Well, you know, um, I've, I know that painters will paint over and reuse an easel and, and yes. you know, amend and sort of be like, no, I think the woman should be lying down or whatever. Um, but I didn't realize that some of the same things happened with uh, manuscripts. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. I mean, any one of these panels, all these panels were an hour, any one of them, I would have gladly been there for for two hours because it the information was just so fascinating really so kudos to the all souls con ladies Yay. for Woo-hoo. for pulling these panels together i can't, they, they can't wait till job. next year ah. uh but i can't wait a year see just another reason to time travel speaking of time traveling somebody asked deb if she could time walk who would she want to meet yeah and she said Elizabeth the first. Oh God! <laughs> and I really loved her answer because she said, um, "What, what she had can't be captured in books or or something that's um, two dimensional." Or she said that she had something, and she said today we would probably call it celebrity or star power, but she just had there was something beyond all the regular people that was going on with her. And she would love to be able to meet her and sit in the room with her and try to try to work out what that was. Um, because she just, she was extra. Sorry, I lost you guys there for a second. You Elizabethan all over that so much that I fell into my wine glass and couldn't come up for air. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yep. Oh, yeah. So she talked a little bit about what her next project might be. Somebody asked about the timeline because we, we've all probably heard that Serpent's Mirror is out there waiting to be written. And, and she's written some of it. And that's about Matthew's time in the 1500s, I think. And while she was writing Serpent's Mirror, Marcus came to her and really wanted to be written about. So she wrote Times Convert and she's working on the Galaglass book. Um, and so people asked when her next book is coming out. And she said, I won't make an announcement about a book until I have a draft, which seems fair. Um, and she said, she's hoping to have a draft of something in the fall. Wow. This that would fall. be great. So, yes. Speaking of great, this is the part in the podcast episode where I make you plug that 
amazing blog post you wrote from this conference. I wrote this blog post about Deb's 60 minutes, her panel on the last day. I just... We'll have it in our show notes in case anybody missed it. Yes. And I... I honestly, I don't think I could talk about it without crying because it was just so emotional. And she just, she pours her heart. She had, she is an author. She had 60 minutes to come out and just talk to people if she wanted to. And she didn't. She let the audience talk to her and ask her questions. And she gave herself to the audience for 60 minutes. And I just, that is so special that she does that. And it wasn't just that 60 minutes as I wrote in the blog post, she, you know, people were trying to ask questions and just ran out of time. And she said, guys, if you still have questions or if there's something that you want to talk about, I will be outside and I will talk to anybody who wants to talk to me. And she must have been outside for 90 minutes at least. And, and she stayed until everybody had their moment with her. And I have, I don't know anybody else who would do that. She had a thousand other things that she could be doing, I know, but that's where she spent her time. And well, that seems like I adore a good her. spot to stop this podcast. <laughs> Maybe. Speaking of kind souls generously giving of their time, I would love to share one of our latest reviews with you if you guys are down for it. Yes. Do it, do it, do it. Okay, awesome. So this one comes to us from Seriously Crappy. And I have to tell you that the APP and Crappy are capitalized. I see you. I see what you did there. That's funny. Uh, She titles it, It's Just Like Chatting About Your Favorite Books with Your Closest Girlfriends, which is pretty much what we do here, so I like this. She says, Which it really is. Down-to-earth ladies, drinking wine, laughing, sometimes a couple of tears, but always real. I only recently heard of All Souls. I saw an ad for the TV show, binged watched the shows on Good Friday weekend, then binged the trilogy books shortly after. Since I don't have any friends or family in real life who have read or want to read it, listening to this podcast is as close as I get to having a wine and All Souls night. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Seriously crappy, there is nothing seriously crappy about you, first of all, but it's always so wonderful when you find a tribe of people who enjoy the same things you do. So with that being Mm. said, you are welcome to come and drink wine and chat about All Souls with us whenever you want. Yes. Yes. Um, I have have one, one maybe tiny little thing to say before we leave. Um, because I, I was actually thinking about writing another blog post, but I don't, I don't think I have that in me. But one thing that I wanted to say, it, it's, it's outside of a discovery of witches, but um, I had a dinner on uh, la, 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 Saturday night, had dinner with uh, the lovely ladies of Damon's Domain, um, Karen Starr, who is the artist who designed the, um, the badges for the con. And Belia Sims, who is Creatures Rock on Twitter and who is also doing some All Souls inspired work. Those two young women, Karen and Belia, are incredibly talented artists. And they both had um, they both had vendor tables set up at the con. And we had this we had a dinner um, with with Damon's Domain and, and with these young, two young women. And I just I am I am a competitive woman. I always have been, and it, sometimes it's to my detriment. And it's hard for me to get out of that competitive mode. But I sat there and I listened to these people um, who were all so talented in so many different and beautiful ways. And there was not a hint of competition around that table. It was all here are the things that we know or here are the things that I know. How can we use those to help you or what can, what can we do to help you? And I was so inspired by that conversation. I was inspired by their talent and I was so grateful that my teenage daughter 
got to sit there at that table and listen to that conversation because <laughs> it's not often that you have a group of women uh, in so many different places in their life with so many talents and abilities who can have those kind of uplifting and conversations that build each other up rather than tear each other down. And I was, just, I am so grateful to have been a part of that. And it really goes back to that hashtag. We are all souls. And <clears throat> there was the con that was great. There was also that dinner that was just, that just solidified for me, the beauty of being in this, this fandom, this family. So yes. I just want to say it's always a proud, proud moment to boast the we are all souls mantra but I feel like it was especially so to have our intern, you know, your teenage <laughs> daughter, who we all love immensely, who is just this beautiful soul herself, but is headed into high school, which I think is a super precarious and vulnerable time mm-hmm. for you to see the darker side of what you just described, which is, you know, young women and young men trying to find themselves confused on who they are possibly acting out in ways that they wouldn't normally, treating people in ways they might not normally, you know, the mean girl syndrome. So I think what I loved about what you just shared is that not only did you benefit from this time, but that your daughter, who is at such an impressionable age, got to see how magical it can be when strong, beautiful women get together and share their talents, their time, their passion, and how everyone can just reap the joy of that is awesome. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Those are perfect thoughts. That's all I'll say. <laughs> all right. So I think we're going to close this up then. I don't want to. I want to keep talking, but we have to. We have to go. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us as we discussed all things All Souls. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And then if you feel inspired, you'll leave a review on Apple Podcast. If you'd like to join in the conversation, find us on Twitter and Instagram at All Souls WW, on Facebook at All Souls Witchy Women Podcast and Blog, and online at All Souls Witchy Women.com. See you soon. <laughs>